Today we're going to focus on the trust and obedience of Joseph. But before we get to that, I want to invite you to reminisce with me for a moment. It was 20 years ago this weekend that my son played on the Garland Al State Championship football team. Now, if you're a parent of someone that's, that's played in something like that, you remember it like it's yesterday. I talked to him this week. They're having a 20-year anniversary. I think they had it yesterday because yesterday was when they played the game 20 years ago. And as we were talking, he said to me, he said, you know, Dad, we were never picked to win any of the games in the playoffs. Not one. He said, in fact, when we started out, we weren't very good. And I do remember that. They lost their first game. They played a couple of teams that were actually of lower classifications and barely beat them. He said, do you remember what happened? And I said, no. He said, those of us who were seniors got the team together and said, whether we win or lose, we've got to start doing something different that we've never done on this team since I've been playing in high school. We've got to trust each other and trust our coaches. Trust each other and trust our coaches. And at that moment, we begin to buy in. No, we weren't the best. And yet, we trusted each other. We trusted that the guy next to us would do their job, and we trusted that our coaches knew what was best, even when we didn't really necessarily agree with it. And with every game, we got better. In fact, in the playoffs, I'll never forget them playing Austin Westlake, who was was, um, uh, number one in the nation. They had something like a 20-something game winning streak. By the end of the first quarter, it was 28 to nothing. And I went, what is going on here? Amazing things can happen when we turn away from ourselves and trust. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our strength, our redeemer, hide me behind the cross, O God, that these words may be your words. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Joseph's story. We don't really know much about Joseph. He's mentioned once or twice in Luke, and then, and, and really he's only named once in Luke. And then he's mentioned four times in the Gospel of Matthew. None of those after the early age of Jesus. We do know that he was of a noble profession, a carpenter. Now, uh, It didn't necessarily mean he didn't have a hard life. He did. You can imagine his calloused hands and his back that probably, where's Scott? Have you watched Scott walk lately? That's the Joseph gate. But Joseph was of noble birth. 
of high integrity. He was obviously respected in his community. We know little about Joseph. We assume that at the time of Jesus' crucifixion that Joseph was no longer with us. And more than likely, what happened with Joseph is he either went through a long illness or, he, or, or there's something that happened in his life. Because Jesus could have started his ministry at any time in his 20s, and yet he waited until after he was 30 years old. Probably because of his family commitment to his father. And so he stayed with his father probably until his father passed away. And at that point, Jesus was released from his family responsibility. We do know at Jesus' crucifixion that he turns to the disciple John and gives the care of his mother to John, an indication that Joseph was no longer alive. I wonder what we would do if we were in Joseph's shoes. I mean, really. Imagine for just a moment, you're engaged to be married, and your fiancé is pregnant. And you know that you're not the father. And, and Joseph did what, I mean, he had two choices. One, which was the usual way that it was handled, was a public display of dismissal. A public claim that the baby that the fiancé carried was not your own and that she had not only broken the vow that the two had taken in the betrothment but also had broken the Jewish law. That would free him of any responsibility. It would put incredible pressure upon Mary, maybe even death. But Joseph decided instead to take a secondary path. He would put her away silently without any discussion, no, no claims, just silently as if their relationship just wasn't what he had expected. And then it happens. The dream. Joseph had made his decision and an angel appears to him and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Joseph held all the cards here, all of them. He was righteous, he was justified, he was innocent, he had no obligation to Mary. Prudence, good sense, dignity, keeping your honor dictated that divorcing her was the right thing to do. Because if he does marry Mary, he is basically admitting that he is the father, that he has broken the law. But instead, Joseph trusts. He follows the dream. He does what the angel has commanded to him. He will forever live with the stigma 
for as long as he is alive, there will be those that will look at him. They will maybe even uh, maybe void their contracts and their work with him. He will have to sit on the back row in the synagogue and the temple. Verse 24 is real simple. It says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph obeyed. You know, it's interesting to me. Notice how God works here. Notice how God works. God doesn't go to Joseph as soon as he finds out. He lets Joseph struggle. He lets Joseph kind of hang out in the wind for a while. Ever been there? Ever been there? He lets Joseph struggle to realize the pain of the possible betrayal. And then the angel comes with God's word. And Joseph makes a radical faith decision. Would that be our decision? Would it? Weakness, shame, ridicule, loss of stature, respect. For the traditional Christmas story as we typically tell it, this is the end of Joseph. This is where we stop. Joseph had a dream. He decides to follow. He takes Mary. They go to Bethlehem. And most of the story is all about Mary and the baby Jesus. But you know, if we continue to read in Matthew, there are three other dreams. Did you know that? There are three other dreams. The next dream is when he's in Bethlehem. Now, we, we assume that the Magi have come and visited, that Mary is probably not able yet to travel with a young child, so they have in some ways made some kind of pl- a place there in Bethlehem and, until she can so that they can go back home. And Joseph has another dream. And here's what the angel says. When the Magi had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, the angel says. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Run, Joseph, run. And Joseph obeyed. Joseph now is in Egypt. Now... We don't really get the context. We have to look at the history books to understand the context. Because of the exodus from Egypt, the relationship between Egypt and those countries that were uh, uh, there in the, what we now call the Holy Land was not good. They, Egypt depended on the land of Canaan, the land of Judah... For their trade route. Because you went up the coast of the Mediterranean. But they could not stand the people. They would charge them tariffs. They would charge them taxes. And, 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 and sometimes the thieves would come down out of the hills. And would, would raid the caravans. They hated them. Go to Egypt? God, isn't there somewhere else where I can go and hide? But Joseph goes. And then again, there is a third dream. 
While he's in Egypt, the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. We don't have an exact time. We know that it was after Herod's death, before or at the time of his son's uh, taking rule over the country. We know that by the time that Joseph got back to Judah, that Herod's son was now in the process of still searching for this Jesus. And a fourth time, Joseph has a dream. Danger exists. God speaks. And when he heard that Achaelius was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, to the town called Nazareth. Now, I got to tell you, I just imagine for a moment, if you had a family member who was constantly having dreams and picking up their family and going back and forth to change strange places. Now, now tell me, tell me, wouldn't you finally do an intervention? <laughs> I mean, seriously. You would sit down with them. You would say, come on, Joseph. There's bound to be some medication. This schizophrenia is getting out of hand. You know, you need to be in counseling. And maybe that happened. We don't know. But we do know is, G- is Joseph trusted and obeyed what God wanted him to do. As crazy as it might be. I, I wonder, you know, there's a pattern here. God speaks, Joseph obeys. God directs, Joseph trusts. Joseph trusts that God will keep God's promises. And, and in the scriptures, now I, I don't know about you, but I'd be trying to make a deal here. You know, bargain. You ever do that in prayers? Okay, God, I know you want me to do this, but there are no questions from Joseph. There's no bargaining. There's no whining. There's no... There's no objection whatsoever. Instead, we see a man who accepts humiliation, accepts the threat of what he's been charged to do. He goes to a foreign country. He comes back. He sets up a new life. He gets redirected time and again, and God is faithful. Lord, give me that kind of faith. Do you want that kind of faith? I do. I mean, you know, what is our response? What's our response? Do we choose to obey God? Or are we deal makers? Got any deal makers in the room? Got any deal makers? I remember when the lottery got up to a billion dollars. I think that's what it was. I bought a couple of lottery tickets. I've only bought like three or four. And this, this was the one, one, one of the two times that I did. And I made a deal. 
I said, God, if you'll let me win the lottery, I'll give 90% to the church. And guess what? I didn't win the lottery. Well, I should have said 99%, I guess. It still would be, what? Whatever. Now, here's the deal. Either this story is a fairy tale or it is the greatest truth ever told. Either we are wasting our time by being here or we need to take the next step in living all in. Because if, if this story is true, and I believe it is, If this story is true, what God has for each one of us is beyond our wildest dreams. If we but listen, pay attention, and respond to trust our coach, to know what our coach is doing, to trust each other, and to join in unity and moving forward in God's name, to make our work our parenting, our marriages, our relationships, our, our household, our neighbor, whatever we involved in as an opportunity, as an opportunity to be God's instrument. Will you do that? Where is God calling us to trust in a way? Maybe it's to do away with the destructive behavior. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's reluctance. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Do we really trust God to make a difference? Are we listening? Are we searching for the the scriptures for guidance? This Christmas, let's choose the baby let's choose the baby the story is told about a a widower who had only one son and (coughs) he and his son developed a very special relationship much out of the loss of the of his wife and the son's mother but together they developed this love of art And because of the man's great wealth, they were able to travel the world and buy some of the most expensive paintings to develop a a collection. Monet's, Picasso's, uh, Van Gogh's. It's absolutely incredible. Millions and millions of dollars were, were, were at stake. It just hung on the walls of their mansion. The war came. The son was called. He went. And within three weeks, the father got the news that his son had been killed in a heroic effort to take one of his buddies to a medic. He had draped him over his shoulders, and as he was running, he got cut down just as he reached the medic. The boy died. His friend lived. Two months later, the soldier 
that his son had saved showed up at his front door. He had a rather large package. And he said, I want you to know, sir, that I am the man your son saved. I am alive today because your son came and got me. And he said, I'm an artist. And so I, I've, I've painted a picture. It's not, it's not perfect. It's not, it's not a masterpiece. But I thought you would want it. He took the paper off and he unwrapped it and it was his son in his army uniform and it, it was a striking resemblance to his son and really just kind of not only caught the image of his son but his character. And the father adored it and put it above his mantle. Everyone that came in from then on in his life, he would show them not the Monets and the Picassos and the Van Goghs, but he would show them a picture, the picture of his son. This is my son, the war hero. When he passed, his will stated that the paintings in his house were to be auctioned off. Oh, it was quite a a spectacle. Uh, Art collectors from around the world literally came to the house in anticipation of this auction. I gathered in the main room, and the auctioneer began the, the auction, and he placed the picture of the sun in front of everyone, and he said, who'll give me a bid for this? Crickets. He waited a few moments. We must sell the painting of the sun before we can proceed. Why? <laughs> this is no masterpiece. Let's get to the real, to the real artwork. This is but second class at best. They began to complain and back and forth. And finally the gavel came down and, and the auctioneer said, No. Who will give me $100? Silence. Finally, an older gentleman in the back who was butler and longtime employee of the, uh, of the, uh, of the old man and had, and had a special relationship with the son said, I'll pay you $100. For the son's painting. And the auctioneer said thank you. And he gaveled down again. And he said the auction is over. What? Well what about the paintings? What about the rest of it? What about his inheritance? There's millions of dollars around here. What? 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 It's over? And the auctioneer said. The will states. Whoever gets and chooses the son receives my inheritance, all of it. All in? <laughs>